Welcome to the I Will Teach You a Language podcast, weekly doses of language learning tips and motivation to help you become fluent in any language. With me, Ollie Richards. Hello. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to the I Will Teach You a Language podcast. Thank you very much for joining me. It's great to have you here. And today we're going to be dialing down the focus a little bit into something very specific, which is probably only going to be of interest to some of you. Um, but nevertheless, it's very interesting and kind of ties into a previous life that I had as well, which is all very, all very nice. We're going to be talking today about the IELTS exam and how to pass it. Now, if you're not an English learner, so if you're not learning English, you probably won't have a clue what the IELTS exam is. Um, so I'll tell you. It is the International English Language Testing System. So it's I-E-L-T-S, or commonly pronounced IELTS. And it is one of the most important English language exams in the world. For the US, and it, it's virtually unknown, so people have different exams for the US, but for the, for the, for the British system, and this kind of extends across to Canada and Australia uh, as well, um, IELTS is, is pretty much the standard English language exam, and it's used for people to test the, the, the English level of people who are doing anything from applying to university, to trying to get a job, to applying for immigration status or something like that. It is a very, very important test. And in my opinion, it's also one of the best tests out there. Ex like language exams on the whole, I think are pretty, pretty poor. Uh, but IELTS is a very, very good one. And the reason is that it is really impossible to fake. The way that the that the exam is set up is is really really well done, and I know this because I used to be an examiner. So back in the day, I actually used to be an IELTS examiner. I would I would uh, mark written tests, I would do oral exams, um, and all kinds of things like that. So I, I'm quite familiar with this, and I also know that many of you listening to the podcast are also learning English. Many of you are listening from China, from Russia, from Brazil, from Japan. And it is very likely that many of you at some point will have to do an IELTS exam. And hopefully this episode here will help you find your way through that. Now, if you are not learning English, then listen anyway, because what we cover in this episode is something very important called exam technique. An exam technique is basically what you have to do to pass an exam. So this really does apply whether you're learning English or any other language. I'm joined by um, Ben Worthington who runs a podcast called the IELTS Podcast, which you can find at, well, you can basically just go anywhere and type in IELTS Podcast and you'll find him. You can find him in the iTunes store, uh, Google Play store, wherever you get your podcasts. And his website is over at IELTSpodcast.com. Now, Ben is, um, it's a long history of, of, of languages, of language learning and a language teaching, and he is an expert in IELTS and he can help you um, pass your IELTS exam. And uh, he very generously gave up his time today to come and chat with me. We cover a lot of a lot of a lot of ground, which will be very familiar for those of you who know about IELTS. We talked a little bit about him and how he got into to IELTS and teaching IELTS. We also talked about some of the most common mistakes and problems that people have when preparing for IELTS. So what are the areas where people fall down on in their exam? We talked about. IELTS preparation. So how do you prepare for the speaking, reading, writing, listening elements of the exam? Strategy for studying by yourself 
uh, and in class, and also when it's right actually not to take the exam. So lots of really, really good stuff here. That's all coming up. Before we get to the interview with Ben, I'd like to thank the sponsors of the show, the wonderful italki, where the world goes for their language lessons. If you'd like to get time with a teacher, whether it's a professional teacher or just an informal tutor to help you practice speaking the language that you're learning, then italki is the best place to do it. They have a huge, huge, huge collection of teachers of all shapes and sizes, nationalities, etc., etc. And thanks to your listenership of the I Will Teach Your Language podcast, you can get uh, some free credit to put towards language lessons. To get that, you can go to IWillTeachYouALanguage.com forward slash free lesson. All right then, without any further ado, here is Ben Worthington of the IELTS podcast. Ben, how's it going? Welcome to the, uh, welcome to the show. Hello there, Ollie. Thank you for having me. No, my, my, uh, good. my pleasure. So whereabouts are you in the world, Ben? Right now, I'm in Warsaw, Poland, um, but originally I'm from Huddersfield. That's where I grew up, um, but I haven't lived in the UK for about 12, 15 years, so that's why I kind of had this a bit of a weird accent, I think some people have told me. <laughs> well, I, well, I was going to say, I think um, some, some people listening to this might be trying to place your accent as they're listening to you, so it's, uh, it doesn't, doesn't strike me as a pure Huddersfield accent, at least not, not anymore. How, how do you, um, how, how, what, what's influenced it to adapt over the years, do you think? Uh, that's a good question. Um, well, the thing is, uh, when I was about 18, I left Huddersfield and I went straight to Australia for a year. And even the Australians were having difficulty understanding like a broad Yorkshire accent. So I kind of slowed it down and I opened it up. And then um, a few years later, I went to Spain and I started speaking, uh, sorry, I started teaching English. And I think once you start teaching a language, you become aware, more aware of your pronunciation. And this is a bit of a cruel joke, but I didn't think it was fair to teach Spanish students with a yorkshire accent uh-huh. <laughs> yeah no, i can see i can see why you why you might think that but yeah yeah um it's funny because i i also people tell me all the time that i've got an australian accent and i don't hear it at all and some when i tell that to people they're like no no way you have an australian accent and then other people are like actually yeah your accent is really australian and i wonder if over the years because i've spent many years living abroad as well maybe you know just from slowing down so that people can understand me, you end up articulating things in, in, in certain ways, which, uh, just, mm-hmm. I guess, just lay, lay your, your accent open to all kinds of adaptations and transformations. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when you learn a language, it's, it permeates your own speaking patterns, you know, especially if you get like deep into it, it can, it can start influencing the way you speak. This is what I found anyway. And yeah, I once said to my friends, oh, let's hire a car. And they were just laughing at me for like a good, a good couple of weeks. Cause I was yeah. like speaking English with this Spanish accent. Cause I <laughs> yeah, spent so long in Spain. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say, but you're originally from uh, around southern England, no? That's right. Yeah, well, I grew up in Cambridge, and right. so I think in my, in my good moments, I, uh, I I have a fairly sort of well, it's not exactly RP, but it's kind of close to RP um, as far as as far as the spectrum of English accents go. Um, but yeah, I, it's again, it's, a, it's adapted for many years in London and, and, and years living abroad. <laughs> so anyway, we we um, we're going to be talking about IELTS today. 
Um, and we, I also, of course, study for the International English Language Testing System, I believe, unless yes. I've misremembered stuff. <laughs> and so we're going to be we're going to be talking specifically to those those people listening who have learned English, who maybe are learning English, who um, have maybe a need to use English profession, pro- professionally and for whom IELTS actually can be an extremely important, um, you know, factor in that. It can, in fact, it can be the gatekeeper. IELTS is, for those of you who don't know, IELTS is an extremely important exam in much of the British English speaking world. And it can be used for entrance into universities, for immigration tests, all kinds of things. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. And, um, Ben, as you will have picked up from the from the name of his podcast, specializes in IELTS. But Ben, maybe maybe before we get into that, if you could give us a quick overview of um of of you, maybe you, I mean, you mentioned Australia and Spain. Beyond that, um, how has your how has your your teaching career developed in the last in the last Group. few years? Right. Okay. Well, when I when I was in Australia, I wasn't doing much. I was just doing like random jobs and stuff like that. Then I went back to the UK, but and then I did my Erasmus. And then after Erasmus, that's when I started teaching because I wanted to stay in Spain. And so there weren't that many like decent quality jobs where I was staying, but there were uh, there was a lot of demand for English teachers. So as soon as I started teaching, um, I realized that like I really enjoyed it. And yeah, I got a lot of satisfaction from it. So I was just teaching in different academies and then I stumbled across IELTS and I, that's where like, yeah, I just decided to like specialize in that area because this is, you know, where results can be measured. And yeah, it really is kind of like my favorite part of English language teaching. Yeah, I remember when I first taught IELTS as well. I um, because I, I, I taught English for, for 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 a number of years, and IELTS was like a real breath of fresh air because where I was in in Japan, um, the, the students in general are not particularly motivated. But then when those when IELTS students turn up, they are a, a different breed of students. They, they they're super committed. They do their homework, which is just like a revelation. <laughs> and uh, they've got something they're really aiming towards. And so, um, so, you know, I, I also really in, enjoyed, um, teaching art. Unfortunately, I didn't have the opportunity to really specialize. Um, I, I, I would have done a lot more IELTS teaching, I think, but, um, I really mm-hmm. enjoyed what I did. And then I, I also became an examiner later on. So I've kind of seen it from both sides of the coin. Um, so, wow. Excellent. Yeah. So mm. let's, um, motivation. Let- yeah. So yeah, what you said about motivation, it's a massive factor. If you're a teacher, it just, it's, I mean, I'm not talking about like shifting the burden, but it does make the job a lot more easier and enjoyable. And it's just a much better environment, a healthier environment, rather than trying to push all these students along to learn the language. These ones, are, like you said, they come in prepared and with, you know, a lot of um, a lot of interest and motivation to pass. Yeah, exactly. So, so let, let's talk about um, maybe f- from from the context that you're familiar with. Who, what's the typical profile of a student that you might teach who's taking IELTS, and wh- why are they taking it? Why do they need it? Well, usually it falls in like th- into three into one of three categories. There's the students who are taking it for immigration purposes, and they might be in the UK or in Australia, wanting to stay there, or they might be in India and wanting to 
uh, emigrate to maybe Canada, the UK, Ireland, or wherever. So there's that there's those that category. Then there's another category which is for like work. And that's broadly similar as well, but maybe they've got a job offer and they can't take it. Um, you know, like an Indian doctor who wants to work in the UK, there's like a few obstacles stopping him. And IELTS is usually one of those. And there's a few other exams. So there's the, the career orientated ones. And then finally, higher education. And that's usually um, students in Asia who want to study in maybe Canada, the UK or Australia. So it's usually one of them three categories. Okay, so we have immigration, we have the job market, and then getting into to university as exactly. well. Okay, and um, I mean, I, I know from, from my experience that there are certain parts of IELTS which, um, <laughs> which people tend to struggle with and which differentiate it from other exams as well. How do you think generally about IELTS, the, the IELTS exam as compared to the, some of the other sort of mainstream English exams. What, do, you, do you think it's a good exam? How, 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 do, you, how do you think mm. about IELTS? It's, um, this is an interesting question. Um, I'm kind of blinkered in this respect because I'm just focusing on IELTS. Um, so I'm not really looking at maybe the BEC, you know, the Business English Cambridge exam, I think it's called. I'm not looking at the TOEFL or the other ones. Um, but what I can say specifically about the IELTS, maybe some criticisms, um, is that sometimes it's kind of like asking you for more than your language skills. In, in a perfect world, for example, the exam would just test your language skills because I, I think that's, you know, the goal. But with IELTS, it seems a little bit more because, for example, in some writing tasks, in writing task two, it's not only asking you your about your language skills, but you, you've also got to respond and think of ideas related to topics that you may have no idea about. For example, it might be a question about, I don't know, the, inv the invasiveness of international marketing in a country. Is it a good, a good thing or a bad thing? Discuss these points. And you know, that really pushes the student not only to now they've got to express and articulate this opinion, which is quite abstract, is quite complex, but also they've, it's pulling on knowledge or asking for knowledge that the student might not have much sort of like idea about. So this could be, I mean, but on the other hand, it is originally it was designed for internet, for higher education. So, but yeah, there's quite a few pluses and minuses about the. Yeah, ex I noticed. Um, I noticed that younger people would would struggle quite a lot. So if you had like you know in Japan, sixteen to eighteen year olds who were who were studying files, they did, they simply didn't have the world, the world, the global awareness to answer questions on on economics or even if they're fairly basic questions, but they they'd never been they've never had to develop ideas about um you know whether it's politics or or kind of um, globalisation or, or the environment. They, they just haven't really spent any time thought, thinking about that. So they they would really struggle. Whereas if you get some, you know, 30 or 40-year-old who's familiar with these kind of questions, who's debated it in their own language, they've got much more to say. So I think, mm -hmm. yeah, there's definitely a, there's, there's definitely um, areas which which can cause problems. But I guess that's all part of developing the ability to, to think and to 
exist on a, in, a, in, a, in a global society, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And just one other thing. Um, the I think it's sort of like pulling on like a critical assessment um, of and like you said of this worldly knowledge and there's two components one like you said the um, they might not have this worldly knowledge which is quite common especially for the younger generation but also what i found is that in a lot of education systems um i don't know i can't speak about japan but i know that a lot of education systems like maybe the spanish one and the russian one it's more based on rote learning rather than critical thinking and so now there's two challenges. They've got to like critically analyze and come up with ideas. And the ideas are pulled from a subject that they've got no real knowledge about. So it's like two hits. And then we go back to the problem of this just being a language exam. So this is, I think, one reason, um, a few, well, some of the reasons why a lot of students are struggling with it. Yeah. The, of, of course, there's, there's no right, there's no right answer, is there? You can't prepare. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So then, um, what are there are four components to IELTS? Of speaking, um, you have the, uh, the the reading, you have the writing, and um, what else am I missing? Listening, the listening, the speaking, That's it, of course. Um, the uh, all those those four those four sections. What do your students tend to struggle with? When let, let, like, let's assume a a required score of IELTS seven point five, which certainly used to be the kind of for a for a, a, a good academic degree used to used to be the the benchmark. If we take that as, as as the benchmark, what what of which of those four areas would your students tend to struggle the most with to, in terms of getting that seven point five? Um. I mean, it usually, well, there's a big factor as well is like which, where the, where the student comes from. Um, because what I found is that some students, like maybe from Eastern Europe, they're quite good with the writing and well, no, they kind of struggle with the writing, but the speaking is okay. Whereas like maybe students from Spain or Brazil, the speaking seems to be much easier for them, but the writing is, is really difficult. But I think, the main problem areas are easily the the writing and then the speaking, easily. Writing and speaking, yeah. I mean, I think uh, in um, in Japan it was the same. It's the productive skills, I guess, isn't it? Because it, mm-hmm. certainly in the in many education systems, you are you know it's all very it's all quite traditional, and so reading and listening, while they're not necessarily easy. Um, mm. by any stretch it's more familiar territory than mm-hmm. having to sit in front of an examiner and um and you know string together coherent sentences and stuff yeah. so then um how do you how do you approach the maybe we could focus in on um on speaking and writing in particular these productive skills i mean if you had a student who comes to you who is you know let's say they've taken the test a few times and it's consistently the speaking and the writing which drags down their score and keeps them more around a six or a six point five, um, or, mm. or or below perhaps. Um, but in that situation where a student's listening and reading is 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 to standard, but their speaking and writing is just consistently dragging them down. How do you approach on a kind of on a from a bird's eye view the the task of actually bringing them bringing them up to scratch because I it's always struck me that it's quite difficult to kind of study your way up 
mm. more than half mm-hmm. a band on IELTS. There's, there's more more at play, isn't there? So how, how do you think about that, that question? Mm. Right then. So, I mean, taking a bird's eye view, what I always tell students is to take a step back because um, they'll be taking, I mean, what what's very common is that they'll take exam after exam after exam and spend a lot of money money on this and only like leave two or three weeks usually even less between what the the first exam the second exam the third exam and they just keep going in and in and in and like oh, i'm so close so what i say is just take a step back save your money and give yourself permission and time to really focus on um on improving and going for that half a band score of or upgrading yourself by half a band. And I give them sort of like a formula, which is, you know, figure out which area you're losing points in. So with the speaking, are you quite fluent, but it's full of grammatical errors? Or do you speak accurately, but very slowly and it's just not fluent enough for the examiner and possibly with a lot of fillers and ums and as. But when the words do come out, when the sentence does come out, it's grammatically perfect, but it's just not at a natural pace. Or maybe you're just lacking the vocabulary. So what I would I say is you need to find out specifically which part it is. And for the speaking, it's usually one of those two. It's usually they're, they're not fluent or they're not or they're not speaking very accurately. And then um, if I'm working personally with the student, we'll do some exercises to focus on one of those and improve in that specific area. Um, or uh, I'll usually say to the student, okay, you need to figure out. And then when you're having your class with your tutor, you need to make sure, like basically take control of the class I'll probably get into trouble for saying this, but sometimes you need to do this with the, the, the teachers that take control of the class and say, look, I need to really work on my fluency. So I don't want you to interrupt me every every time I make a mistake. We're just focusing on the fluency this time. And then likewise, with the accuracy, I want you to write down every single mistake I do and then insist that it, we we do exercises and drills possibly until we get this perfect structure, we get this, um, you know, we we start speaking a lot more accurately and without losing the fluency. So that's for the the speaking. If we were taking a bird's eye view, mm. they're, they're they're quite um, they are huge areas, aren't they? Just just by themselves, you know, the 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 area of um, of of fluency um, mm. and the area of vocabulary. I mean, they are. They are so broad in, in in scope in a way because vocabulary. The, you know, the question is obviously, well, then you know, what vocabulary? If we're talking about what in, in particular, <laughs> and then with flu- yeah. and fluency again, it's like a combination of all different kind of sub skills. And I mean, you you reach fluency by by having the words at your disposal, so it doesn't slow you down too much. But then also having the general command yeah. and control of the language to be able to put things together um, coherently. So, do you? I mean. Obviously, being a being a an IELTS teacher, I think I can guess what the answer <laughs> the answer would be. But um, you know, to what extent is it a question of kind of workshopping these things in class versus you know going away by themselves and working more more holistically on 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 more kind of broader practice and more and, and skills? 
Right. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting point. I think I would say it's probably like a combination of both. I mean, if you've got if you're a student and you've got access to a tutor and you've got the financial resources, then definitely do that. But you cannot expect the tutor to pass the exam for you. You know, you can't expect this tutor to learn English for you. You still got to put in a lot of effort. So. You know, going back to your question, I'd say it's probably both. You not only do you need to um, uh, put in a lot of effort yourself and do do sorry. Not only do you have to do the classes with the tutor and like re- research it and find out where you are making mistakes, but also you got to put in the hours. And what I always say is like just immerse yourself into. Um, the English culture, you know, start listening to podcasts when you're commuting to work, start changing all your media into English when you're just, you know, having a coffee in the morning and you're checking the website, checking the sports results, just switch that into English. And I think it takes both parts as well. And just one other point, going back to your earlier question, um, sort of like a bird's eye view One of the things that I would definitely recommend is that the student identifies whether it's exam skills or language skills they're lacking. Then if it's language skills, dive into identifying and isolating which language skills specifically, like I said before. And and likewise with the exam skills, if they can speak fluently and accurately with their friends – but they just mess up in sort of like an interview environment because they get nervous, then this is exam skills and they need to work on simulating this environment and maybe just looking at confidence boosting techniques or breathing techniques um, just to solve that issue. Yeah. I remember one of the things that I used to really like doing with students is to give them cold tests. So basically they'd walk into class at the beginning and we'd sit down and and the first thing they would do is is a complete mock mock test for, for, for say the, the writing or the reading or something um, mm. because you've got to be able to turn up cold and to snap into exam mode yeah. you know without without you know an, an hour to warm up or something like that you know the, the, that this this thing of exam technique it's mm. I mean that I guess I mean this is I, I imagine is one of the things that, that a teacher or, or classes can be can be could be most useful for is actually making sure that you know what to expect with the exam you know what uh you know what how, you know how to in a way it's almost it's not even how to get through it. it's almost how not to trip yourself up right often exactly yeah exactly i mean there's like we've got a technique that we have um which we teach on the course which is sort of like it's almost like a process that you see the question then you break it up then you assign the um, ideas to paragraphs and it's like a f- a flow and it's to get over this exact problem that you mentioned of like cold because it's it's tough getting your brain into like writing mode and then you've got to assess this question and then you've got to be aware of task response that you're actually answering the question so if you've got like a system to follow it kind of reduces that the friction of getting into exam mode you know yeah. And if you do the system enough times as well, it almost becomes automatic, like muscle memory. And then then you can see some like real good results by just focusing on the language because the exam skill has been so like ingrained. 
it, it strikes me that there are many parallels with um, you know when you when you when you're learning at, at school in your native language, right? I mean, when you write your first essay when you're 14 or something, you have no idea what an essay, how an essay should be written, <laughs> right? You don't know how to begin an essay. You don't know. You don't, you don't understand yeah. the concept of starting with the conclusion and. Um, and, uh-huh. and, and stuff like that. You have to be told, right? You have to kind of work through and get enough feedback on enough essays to know, to know, exactly. uh, to know what's what. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And this is a really good point. And it's one that I find really interesting is like a lot of students bring the writing style that they're taught in their native language. They bring it over to English and it doesn't work, yeah. you know? Long, flowery sentences with lots of like – uh, ambiguity and all this stuff and for english essay academic writing it's a disaster but in their own language it's the set uh it's the standard practice yeah it, <laughs> japanese students in particular are, are disastrous at this because they do they take anything but the the shortest path through a discussion you know just circulating around <laughs> it like a hawk you know without actually kind of ever ever moving in on, on the on the main point let's talk about let's shift gears and talk about writing then because um you know, writing has always struck me as something with its almost with its own its own sub language in a way. There, there are ways to write. There are ways to mm. express ideas through writing, which if you are not an experienced writer, you may you may well never have come across how to mm. you know, how to. You know, there are standard ways of beginning sentences. There are standard ways of organizing paragraphs and things like that. Um, but then I guess the similar question then for somebody who is, you know, a good couple of points or a good point or band, I guess I should say, at least a, a good band or band and a half below where they need to be for writing. What's the bird's eye view of improving your, your writing? Mm, well, it'd be a very similar approach to like we were saying before with the speaking, like first identify, um, is it language skills or exam skills? You know, are they writing grammatically perfect, but it just sounds like a, a chat in, in the local pub, you know, with lots of contractions and lots of informal language. If that's the case, then it's more about learning the essay writing skills. Like we were talking before, like the topic sentences, the body paragraphs and the conclusion and the whole structure like that. And in that case, it's usually quite easy and painless for the student to improve. And then there's some of the students that um, don't have the language skills, but they do. But they've gone onto YouTube and they've learned how to write an IELTS essay. But and so they've got the introduction, the body paragraph, and they've got probably the content right as well. But the um, but the actual language is a bit of a mess. You know, lots of grammar mistakes and and lots of spelling mistakes, and probably or maybe even the wrong vocabulary in some cases. And in that case, it's quite a bit more difficult to improve because, yeah. you know, we're focusing on the whole on the whole language and at the same time trying to um, maintain this essay structure. And for those students, it can be quite um, quite hard. And then there's some students like with no essay writing experience and no English language experience, and that is is tough. It's not impossible, but it's it's quite tough to improve with yeah i mean i think there's there's a there's a there must be a case i mean i've certainly encountered it myself a case for saying to some students look you need to go away for a year and come back in a year because you this, this is too much of a hurdle you know if you're aiming if you need to get a, a certain ielts score 
there's mm. just this the, the the scope of things that you need to learn before you're ready for that it's just too too broad to be able to to learn in class and over the course of a, of a term um and mm-hmm. i guess with writing i mean what's the how do you think about the importance of reading with writing because you know you, you can't set about writing an academic essay if you've never read an academic essay in english before because you have no you know what's your starting point you you have no map mm-hmm. yeah well with reading i usually tell my students to um to start excuse me to start familiarizing themselves with good academic writing you know and there's like a little bit of a sneaky way to not sneaky but a little trick that students can do is say if they've got an essay topic about education yeah if they just go to google and put education pdf and then education space pdf space dot ac dot uk dot ac dot uk and then pull these academic reports you know that universities are publishing or these government reports dot go gov.uk and then they can start like immersing themselves into the academic literature and yeah those government reports the um any of the university reports are usually have usually been proofread and they usually and they're the exact style that the examiner wants to see for the writing exam so that's how i'd approach it with regards to reading but just one other tip um before we mentioned about getting immersed into the language and a really good tutor told me aj hodge um he told me once he's like ben the students they need to um not only start reading a lot in english but they need to learn about subjects that they they need to read about subjects that they like in their own native language so for example i don't know if pedro is obsessed with football then he should start learning they should start reading about football in English and use, and so so the language becomes, so it gets pushed to the background and football becomes the focus. And I think this is great advice because it makes it more sustainable and it's much more likely to to develop into a habit rather than just sort of like a two week blitz of. I've got to pass the exam, which is not really sustainable in the long term. And it's not really going to help you with your language in the long term either. Yeah, I guess those um, those kind of crash courses are perfect for learning exam technique, aren't they? Getting ready for the exam itself. But yeah, those those crash courses, they drive me mad. I I get so annoyed by them because they're so expensive. And like you get thrown into a class and maybe there's two Germans, three Saudis, for Chinese, you know, and then there's maybe one native English speaker who's the teacher and she's not going to be teaching or he's not going to be teaching or speaking English for the whole duration of the class. It's, it's an abomination. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let it be heard. No more IELTS um, crash courses. Although I think, you know, if, you know, imagine that someone has taken their very first IELTS course. And they've done, they've had no, because I mean, I've met tons of people who, especially in the Middle East, I met tons of people who were taking IELTS, who went in to take the exam, but they had no idea what the exam was. They'd never done a class. They were, they were, you know, this, this is a very uh, kind of Arab, Arab mentality. Um, they were just kind of, you know, just turn up and just, you know, let's say, okay, in, what do you, in, inshallah, you know, what, 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 exactly, what have you, what yeah. have you got for me? And, uh, and you know, for people like that, actually, a kind of crash course in the exam technique would have, it could have made the difference between then getting the result that they wanted or, or not. Because, mm-hmm. you know, like we haven't, we haven't really talked about listening here, but I, I remember, uh, doing, giving myself a, 
a couple of listening tests, IELTS listening tests once when I first started teaching IELTS. And I didn't get a very good score, not because I couldn't understand what was going on, but because I hadn't, I didn't realize how quick it was going to move and how, how quickly uh-huh. you need to be able to pick up the information from the recording and then get that into your answers. Um, and so that's a classic case of even for a native speaker, um, exam technique becoming, um, being an extremely important factor. I mean, here's, here's an interesting question for you. If let's, let's say you're in the UK and you picked a random person off the street and you gave them an IELTS test with no preparation, what, what mark do you think they'd get? <laughs> I kind of know the answer because I've heard stories of uh, Irish people going to Australia and taking the IELTS exam to get extra points on the visa application for the uh, for PR, um, like permanent residency. And they were failing at, at like band seven. But yeah. I would guess that I'm not criticizing the Irish and obviously the British or the Scottish, you know. <laughs> no, I think, I think we all, we all struggle. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, I'd probably say that. And it comes down to the exam skills, exactly like you just mentioned, like getting familiar with the pace of the exam, learning how to communicate in an academic way. And, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think they would probably struggle, especially – yeah, especially with the yeah with all parts of the exam except the speaking. Like I would imagine they do pretty well in the speaking, sure. unless they just unless they just slipped into pub mode. <laughs> you know? But apart from that, if they kept it like formal, they'd which I imagine they would, they'd probably come away pretty well. Fantastic. Okay, then. Well, so let's let's just let's let's um, wrap this up. Then I'm just thinking about um, the students that you that you know that you've met. What what if you were going to give sort of one one piece of advice for a student who is aiming for that 7.5 level in the exam and i know that's a difficult question because there's more than one thing i know what would but yeah you got to choose one thing i'm going to hold you to to that one thing what would it be um slip the examiner 200 pounds i'm just joking <laughs> that would have worked for me no, don't actually no, it wouldn't work though, would it? because it gets stuff gets double marked and stuff and things like that <laughs> now, um, okay, so the one piece of advice that I would give uh, to the students is don't put in for the exam until you're probably confidently above the grade that you want. Um, because this way you're not going to, you, you're probably only going to have to take the exam once if you go in there sort of like from above the score that you need. Two, it's going to save you a lot of time, money. And confidence as well, um, because and and your nerves, because maybe you want to get the exam done really fast, and you take it and you get a lower grade than you need. It's going to hurt your confidence, you know, and it's going to be a massive setback. It's going to cost you money. It's going to cost you a lot of time in preparing, going to the exam center. So I think um, prepare with patience, and also prepare over prepare, and just try and take the one exam pass it first time and then get it all done with and move on to the next challenge in your life that'd be my advice that's a fantastic piece of advice it really is um ben it's been great to talk where can people find more about you where where can they connect with you where can they um say hi where can they find out more about what you do gotcha okay they go to ieltspodcast.com and there they can sign up for some IELTS materials. It's free. And we've also got the online course. 
uh, jump to a band seven or it's free with the writing. And also there's the, the speaking confidence course and essay correction service as well. But I think the best thing to do is just go to the website, get started and also probably download a few podcasts and get familiar with the exam and yeah and just get started and by the way if they've got any questions they can just shoot us an email and we yeah we usually respond within about 24 hours fantastic that's better than me so um my uh, <laughs> my my response rate is <laughs> if only it were 24 hours thanks so much and um yeah it's been been great to chat and uh i look forward to talking again yeah thanks for having okay. us uh, ollie it's been Cheers. super yes Okay, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Ben from the IELTS podcast. Lots of really, really useful stuff there for anyone who's learning IELTS. The show notes for this episode, um, where you can leave questions or comments for myself or Ben, are at IWillTeachYouALanguage.com forward slash episode 315. That's IWillTeachYouALanguage.com forward slash episode 315. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you back in the next episode of the podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. I really hope you enjoyed it. And if you do enjoy the podcast, then you're going to love some of the email courses that I've created. These are completely free email courses, which are written specifically for different languages and different levels. I've spent years writing these things. So whether you are a intermediate Spanish learner or a French beginner or Japanese advanced, whatever it may be, I've got email courses that give you some of my best tips for learning those languages at different levels. So whether you're struggling with how to get started, whether you want to know how to understand native speakers when they're talking really quickly at you, whether you want to get better at learning grammar, I've got stuff for you that I send out completely free over email. If you'd like to get these tips, then please go to IWillTeachYouALanguage.com forward slash tips. That's IWillTeachYouALanguage.com forward slash tips, T-I-P-S, and I'll get them sent out to you right away.